Well, thank you to Eric and Rich for joining us from Pequay Valley, and thank you to our worship team for recording that song, Raise a Hallelujah. I know it was recorded weeks ago, but it is just as fitting today as it was then. I'm looking forward to being together again with that worship team and, and with you all in person again. But until then, again, this will have to do. Well, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point, and uh, I'm just glad to have you joining me. You're in my home office in my basement. And I'm um, sorry, but this is the best that we can do for right now. And you're finding us in part seven of a series that we're calling Disrupted because, well, I don't think it needs much explanation. This is the way life is, right? Um, well, to get us started here this morning, um, some of you may know this, but I have actually uh, married. I've married up, no doubt about it, but I've also married someone who not only likes to, to clean up, but maybe, as I'll say, also likes to clean out. And cleaning out, you know, is very different than cleaning up. Cleaning out often involves a little bit um, of pain and a little bit of, of pushing, at least someone like me, who's not used to cleaning out quite as much as I'm used to cleaning up. And, you know, you never know, you know, when you're cleaning out and helping me maybe clean out my closet, you know, I'm like, hey, I know I don't need 35 t-shirts, but that one from high school that I really like, you know, do we really need to get rid of that already, right? So my timing on cleaning out isn't always Jen's idea and timing on cleaning out. And over the years, we've had some pretty creative conversations around what cleaning out looks like. Well, the truth about cleaning out, as you know, is that we all do it. Sometimes we do it voluntarily. Sometimes we don't do it voluntarily. Sometimes it kind of happens to us. And cleaning out is not just cleaning out my closet, but it can be cleaning out my routines, my habits, my priorities. It happens at New Year's resolution times, maybe a birthday. Um, and it still can be hard to do that, to change who we are, to replace the old stuff with the new, to kind of clean out how we see the world and how we engage the world. But cleaning out is exponentially harder when it is done to us, when we are forced to change jobs, when we have changes forced on us and we lose things that had been a part of our lives. That is exponentially harder. And that is the space that we find ourselves in right now. We are having many of our activities cleaned out. We can no longer go to restaurants for the fun of it, cleaned out. We can no longer go to our our favorite, you know, go watch the movies. We can no longer do a lot of entertainment stuff. We can't travel like we used to. Some of you have lost jobs. There are things that are cleaned out of our hearts and out of our lives that are just hard to reconcile. And cleaning out is always painful, especially when we weren't the one who said, yes, I want to get rid of that t-shirt. Yes, I want to get rid of that. It's exponentially harder when we think that God might be behind the clean out or God at least allowed, even though he could have prevented it. That makes it exponentially harder. But here's the thing that I believe about cleaning out, that cleaning out always makes room for something. When you clean out, you always are making room for something new to fill in that space. When I have less t-shirts, I can get more new t-shirts, right? Or maybe preferably, I can have a moderate amount. But when things are cleaned out, it always makes room for something. And this morning, the case I want to make with you is that times of clean out or despair, hard times, sadness, when we are cleaned out, it always makes room for hope. 
fact, I don't think hope in God can actually come to you and to me until there are things that are cleaned out of our lives. So last week, when you were with us, if you were with us on the Disrupted series, we talked about despair and the struggle of despair and the four floors of despair, regret, sadness, depression, and despair. And we talked about redemptive hope as a, as a you know, thing that, that might be coming from despair. Well, today I want to kind of encourage you that the flip side of despair is this, that despair can clean out, can clean out, can move out things in our heart and our mind and our activities that are taking up space. And in that hollowing out of our hearts, it can give room for the hope and the light of God to be present in a way like never before. Kind of like you need to hollow out a pumpkin before you can carve it and put that light in there so that it will shine. For me, at least, and maybe for you, this hollowing out of the things that have been a part of our lives, the despair, the loss, the sadness that we feel, might just be the way that God is delivering redemptive hope to us. That is a hard statement to make, isn't it? Isn't that really hard? To say that God might be allowing this hardness, this sadness, maybe even this depression or despair, so that he can deliver redemptive hope, that God is allowing these things to be carved out of us so that he can plant hope in our hearts. That's a hard saying. That's just really hard. It's hard to trust in a God who would allow this kind of pain and struggle. But this is, whether we like it or not, this is the path of hope that God has demonstrated that he has used in times past. This is how God tends to work. You know, many years ago, there was a, a gentleman named Soren Kierkegaard, and he said this, it was in the 1850s, he said this, he was a Danish theologian and philosopher. He said, so much is spoken about wasting our lives, but the only wasted life is the life of him who has so lived it, deceived by life's pleasures or its sorrows, that he has never become aware that there is a God, and that this God can only be met by way of despair. What a strange, strange statement that Kierkegaard would say that the only way for you not to waste your life and me not to waste my life is to recognize that when our hearts have the pleasures and sorrows carved out of them, that that is indeed the means by which God is using many times this difficult and painful carving out of and making room for his hope and his character to be planted in us. That the only way Kierkegaard would say to know God is by means of and via on the path of despair. What a strange statement. Is it true? Is it true, though? Is it true that this is the way that God works, that he allows what he could prevent, and in that he gives us the opportunity to see him in new ways? And I would argue that I think it really is. I think it really is. As I look at the Old Testament, I see God working in this way in the nation of Israel. And if you know the story, you know how God has worked in the nation of Israel. And if you don't know the story, it's no problem. The really big story is that God has set himself up as the, uh, the, the ruler, the leader, and the, the loving Heavenly Father of his nation, Israel, in the Old Testament. 
And what he's invited them to do is to honor him and worship him. And in return, he will bless them and, and, um, and care for them. And what happens in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is that there's disobedience that creeps in. There's a sense of God being absent and other leaders being present and right in front of them. There's envy, there's jealousy, there's um, the Israelites seeing the wealth and prosperity of other nations and wanting that. There are people marrying other people who they shouldn't really be in relationship with and doing things that just aren't appropriate. And God, over time, ends up judging the nation of Israel and takes them into Exodus. He allows his own nation to be overrun by people who don't even worship him, by the Babylonians, by the Persians, by the Assyrians, wave after wave after wave of other nations coming in and carving out, carving out the heart, if you will, of Israel, making room for, making room for a new seed of hope to be planted. That carving out included death included hardship. It was a hard way for God to deliver redemptive hope to his people, but this is the nature of the hope that God delivers. It is a redemptive hope that comes on the back end of pain and loss. That's what he did with the nation of Israel. After they were taken prisoner and captive by Babylon, by Assyria, by Persia, they were ultimately returned to their land. And we read about those stories in books in the Old Testament like Ezra and Nehemiah, how God reestablished and replanted his nation. And as you read those stories, you can read the fervor and the enthusiasm and the passion of the people who say, never again, like we don't ever want to go there again. We have had these things that were deep within us carved out. We don't want that pain again. So we're going to worship God as he is right now and give in to him and yield and serve him. God does that with the nation of Israel. God also does that with people, not just at a macro level, but with people. Maybe people like you, people like me. Now, I know I'm not like uh, King David in the Old Testament, and you probably aren't either, but we read about David's experience in this same way in Psalm chapter 30, and we covered this in detail a couple weeks ago, so I won't go into detail again, but we read a couple things in Psalm 30 about David's experience of struggling with God who kind of carved some things out of him. In verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 30, we read here, he says, When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Remember when things are going well? And then he says, Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. And then he introduces the, the plot twist, the struggle. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Enter in this, my language this morning, this carving out, this cutting out, this hollowing out. When things started to go south, I was dismayed. Loss paves the way for something. I lost something. And so in the loss, David has to turn somewhere. And in that loss, David turns, in the next verses, he turns to the Lord. Look at verse 8. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. So David has this cry out to God that comes because that which he valued and was secure in was taken away from him. It was gone from him. And so he turns to God and says, God, you help me. And this is redemptive hope. This is the path of God choosing to say, 
you look a little too confident here, David. In fact, you might be placing your confidence in the wrong things. Nation of Israel, you look a little too secure. You're, you're in the sense that you're not trusting in me. You're leaning onto these other things. You're taking half your body weight and leaning onto something else that isn't going to help you. It's not going to support you in the long run. So to help you, I'm going to take it away. That fall is going to feel like a pain. It's going to feel like a hurt. I'm going to allow it to go so that you'll feel the pain, so that you'll want to, as David does, call out to me again. Remember that God is your Savior, not the things that I can so easily lean on. And God even did this with his son in the New Testament. This is an amazing example, and I think it's such a powerful one, to see Jesus work on the cross in the same way. You know, the truth is, and if you've heard me talk before, you know I've said this before, the truth is, Jesus didn't even want to go to the cross. I mean, if we're just honest about it, he prayed, Lord, if possible, take this cup from me, meaning take this um, cross from me. I don't want to have to drink the cup of suffering. That's what he meant. I don't want to have to drink the cup of suffering because I know that I'm going to be tortured and die on a cross in the most humiliating and painful way. I don't want to go through this. In his prayer, he oozed sweat drops of blood with this, just this fervor of not wanting to go through this. He was in dismay. He, the things that he valued, comfort, security, as a, as a human being here, were, were gone. And so he prayed, he cried out in despair. And this is where he, he says, even when he's on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22. Verse 1, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? And on the cross, Jesus says the same thing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you cut out from me the things that I can find security and comfort in? I have been left alone. And what's the result of this for Jesus? Here's what we see in Hebrews verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2. There we read, But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste the death for everyone. What the author of the Hebrews is saying is that it was the very nature of death itself. Because it was him that suffered death, now he's crowned with glory and honor. That on the back end of suffering and death, comes glory and honor. On the back end of this comes restoration. Same for the nation of Israel. Same for David. As Psalm 30 finishes up, he's in a place of joy and dancing. Same thing for Jesus. At the end of suffering and at the end of this abandonment, he experiences and he's, he experiences this unity with the Heavenly Father and he gives a gift to you and to me of eternal life. But it came through redemptive hope. Hope that was on a journey that was a painful and hard one. And I love the way Dan Allender and Tremper Longman say it in their book, Cry of the Soul. They put it this way. If we are willing not to hide under despair, but to call to God, we will find him after we give up making him in our image. What a powerful quote. If we're willing not to hide under despair, but to call to God, we'll find him after we give up making him in our image. What, what are they saying? That They're saying this, that despair, sadness, sorrow, the feelings that you have when you lose the things that are important to you, 
That sorrow, that despair, shows us, if we're willing to see it, it exposes the futility of our idol-making factories within our hearts. It shows me, it might show you, it certainly showed the Israelites and it showed David that there were things that he was leaning on that could not bear the weight of their soul. There are things that I will lean on and you will lean on that when taken away we feel a loss, and rightly so. Some of these things that we have lost now are very legitimate. Loss of a job, loss of an ability to go see a loved one in a retirement home, for example. Those are real losses, and I appreciate that. And some losses are less significant, if I can put it that way. You know, we've lost the ability to be entertained, to go out to eat. We've lost the ability to, to get a haircut, you know, whenever we want to. We've lost the ability to keep our hobbies going or to meet together. These are some things that we have lost. And as I reflect on those things that I've lost, the things that have been carved out, rather than rushing back to get back to normal, rather than rushing back so I can get out to eat again and that I can go hang out with people again, rather than rushing back to fill in the hole in my heart, to fill in the emptiness that I feel, rather than rushing back, before we rush back, it's worth asking the question, is this despair that I feel, is this loss that I feel, the path of God's redemptive hope, where God is bringing hope to me on the flip side of despair, but that that hope is coming through pain? See, last week, if you were with me here, we talked about um, despair and hope, and talked about hope being not placed in our circumstances and not placed in people, but hope placed in the character of God. And today, I want to emphasize again that God's character is a character of redemptive hope, that he is a God who redeems. But that redemptive hope, I've got to be honest with you, and I think you know this already, that, that redempt, the, way, the path of redemptive hope is often a painful path. And so I'm asking you to consider trusting in a God who will likely allow pain in your life for the purpose of clearing out things that aren't really ultimately helpful for you. Now, what do I want you to do with this? Do I just want you to close your eyes and, you know, squint hard and, you know, clench your fists and, uh, you know, push through and, and just have more faith? Well, here's what I would want you to consider. I'd, I'd love for you to ask this question this week. I'd love for you to ask this question. Is this, what have I lost and what have I gained? What have I lost and what have I gained? Okay, simple question. What have I lost? What have I gained? Now, let me kind of give you my list, all right? I want to give you my list just to maybe prime your pump. And the reason I find this helpful is because both things are true. I have lost some things. You have lost some things. But I've also gained some things. The loss is where I feel pain and hurt, and maybe the loss is where you would feel it as well. So here's part of my list for you, okay? A couple things that I've lost, a few things that I've lost. Um, I feel like I've lost um, leadership security. Uh, I'm not sure how to, to say that the best, but for example, um, you know, we, anyone who's trying to lead through this crisis knows that we don't know what we're doing. You know, we're all, all of us are, are making the best of it. And so the confidence of making a good decision based on past data or past ideas is kind of gone. So the security of saying this is going to be a good plan is difficult to come by because I don't know as I've never been in a pandemic before. Additionally for me, 
The other piece of leadership security I've lost is the ability to read the room. I mean, I'm talking to a video camera right now in my basement and you might be watching this morning, but I don't get to see you directly. I don't know if you ever laughed at anything that I've said here. I don't know if you're smiling. I don't know if you're distracted by something else. I don't know if this is helping you as much as maybe I hope it is. I can't read the room. I have lost the security of saying this is working and I know it is because I can read it in the room or it's not working because I'm seeing people distracted and I'm losing the audience. I have no idea. And so the leadership security, that's a real thing that I've lost. That's a part of what I know that I've lost. I've also lost a, uh, a work and rest balance. Um, the schedule, because I'm working from home, the schedule bleeds over and over from previously established boundaries that I've had. You know, when do you start work? When do you finish? You know, I have some of those routines, but truthfully, there are times it just bleeds right over. I've lost some of that balance in working from home. Um, we've lost, and I've seen it, uh, our kids have lost a routine um, in losing school. Um, we've lost routine, and there's a sadness that comes with that. So those routines are just a real loss for us in the interaction with their friends. We've lost social interactions and entertainment just like you have, and I miss that. I miss being able to hang out with people. I miss being able to go places. That's a real loss for me. It, it is. It's a real loss probably for you, too. So those are just a couple of sampling of some things that I've lost during the season. But I've also gained some things. And here's some things I've gained. Um, I've gained, I guess I would say, a resilience beyond my comfort zone. Uh, I am not dead yet. Okay? All the changes haven't killed me yet. I'm still here, and, and maybe, just maybe, I've seen in actually everybody that we are more able to handle significant change than we first think we are. And so I've been encouraged that I think I've gained, but also we have gained, a resilience beyond our comfort zone. I'd also say that I've gained um, time with my family that has sparked a lot of good conversation. Um, that has been a real gain. We don't have a lot of evening appointments right now because we're at home. So we've had opportunity to hang out together much more as a family. Uh, we've even been able to uh, pick up the guitar again. I used to play that you know, back in the day and pick that up again and teaching one of my kids and that's been a fun thing. Um, I've gained greater connection with many of you at GPC. Uh, from personal phone calls and business Zoom calls that we're doing, I feel like even in this distance, that I've been able to talk with and connect with so many of you in ways that I haven't before personally. And that's been a real help to me. That's a gain. I've also gained uh, a greater connection with the local pastors. We now have a, a budding group of local pastors who are meeting every other week just to talk about how our churches are responding to this and how we can engage it. And that is a net gain for me. And ultimately, finally, I also would say this, I've gained a greater sense of my own need for God and not the reliance on all the other things that hold me up in times of plenty. I've realized that the truth is I might sing a song like, um, all my hope is in you, but the truth is, I would say most of my hope is in you, God, but some of my hope is in finances, and some of my hope is in my friends, and some of my hope is in my hobbies, and some of it is in my routines. And when those kind of get ticked away and carved out of me, I realize, okay, I need, I need, a greater dependency on the character of God, the faithfulness of God, to bring through the pain hope, redemptive hope of a day like when the nation of Israel returns from exile, 
when David is recovered from the pain of loss and dances with joy in his presence, when Jesus goes through the cross and the grave and comes back to life and gives us life through death, that this is the kind of God that we serve, who puts us on a path, even allowing despair, depression, sadness, and regret in our lives, so that he can carve out the things that are not really helpful for us to be leaning on. And so I want to encourage you, before you rush back, before you rush back to things as normal, and I know that we're all getting antsy for that, before we rush back, I want to encourage you to take a moment, maybe today, maybe this week, and ask the question, what have I lost? What have I gained? And in that asking, allow yourself not to just backfill your emptiness with more activities, more relationships, more stuff to get just as actively busy and miss that maybe in this emptying, the seed of God is being planted again in your heart, that you can know him, embrace him, hope in him again even in the middle of pain and suffering. And that is the hope that despair can bring, the redemptive hope that a loving Heavenly Father who loves you can bring. So what have you lost? And what will you gain through this period? Well, that was Disrupted Part 7. I look forward to next week talking with you about another aspect of what we're dealing with right now, and that is when loss of control brings anger and how we can understand that anger and use it well for the people around us. Be glad to have you back next week for Disrupted Part 8. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be together virtually this morning. And I pray for our, our audience, those listening this morning, those engaging with this later, that you would give us the courage not to too quickly backfill the emptiness that we feel. Help us not to too quickly Add in the very things that we shouldn't have been dependent upon before. Help us to learn in this space how to lean into and trust a God of redemption. Now some of us this morning and some of us listening may never have really come to a place of trust. I'm not sure what we can trust, maybe that type of God. Those are the conversations that we would love to have with people who are listening. So we want to say that this morning. We would love to engage you with what it means to trust God, what it means to know Jesus and the hope of salvation through the cross of Christ. That is an incredible gift and we would love for you to know Jesus during this time. And so we pray that you would give us the courage to both rest and find peace in your care for us during this time, to depend and lean on your redemptive hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.